thank you so much for having me here today. Um, and I want to thank Dr. Schmidt as well, who I think might have left the room, um, for providing the historical context um, in which you know National Band Book Week takes place, um, and in which the comments I'm going to have for you today, which sort of more talk about more current challenges to books like the one I edited, um, are taking place as well. Um, as they said when they introduced me, um, I'm both an author and a current library student, so it's quite an honor to be in the San Jose State Library and Information Science program. Um, however, it's hardly an honor to have a banned book. It's kind of a dubious honor. Um, so it's not something that I can, people say, you must be so proud, you must have done something right. <laughs> and I say, well, probably we pissed the right people off, <laughs> except that they pulled the book. <laughs> so um, there's also all sorts of stuff on the internet that, that I encourage you to look it up, attacking this book as well. They're quoting things you know it's been going on for a decade now the book came out in 2000 um, but they quote things just like from the bios of the young people saying this is who I am this is how I identify this is what I stand for and those are the types of quotes that get pulled up in these sort of attacks on this book as something that's just terribly inappropriate and horrible um, you know so it's it's happening in a variety of ways but um, it culminated with the book being pulled um, so I just want to say it's a real honor to be here. I want to tell you a little bit about Revolutionary Voices um, and how it came about and then um, just talk a little bit about some thoughts um, I was having as I was preparing to come here today just for you know five or so minutes and then I want to read some entries. Um, from the book for you. The book's now out of print, um, but luckily it is in lots of libraries across the country. It has not been pulled <laughs> from all of them. Um, so it is a book that you can get in most public libraries, um, some school libraries. Um, but I'll give you a little sample of the types of entries that are in the book. Um, again, it's called Revolutionary Voices, a Multicultural Queer Youth Anthology. And it has 56 contributors from across the United States as well as some countries outside of the United States or youth who are immigrants. And so um, they were born outside of the US and then their families immigrated here. So it is quite indeed multicultural. Um, all the young people are 12 to 26 in the anthology. Um, it, since it came out, I started working on it was at, when I was 19. I'm now 32. So it came out quite a while ago. Um, and a lot of these young folks now have gone on to be published authors. Some of them have their own books. Um, poetry anthologies, they've been published in other places, some of them are teachers. Be happy to give you an update about what they're all doing. Um, and so in addition to coming here today as the author of this book um, and a library student, I'm also coming here today one week after attending a conference um, that was the 10th anniversary of an organization called Critical Resistance. And this conference was attended by nearly 4,000 people from around the country, all of whom are lawyers and community activists, teachers, social workers, um, students, and former prisoners who are coming together to create real alternatives and really safe communities that don't rely on the expansion of the prison system and policing. And, you know, I can imagine you're wondering why that's relevant to Banned Book Week. Um, I bring it up for two reasons. So first is that this anthology was actually banned in the state of Texas by the juvenile detention centers, um, which are also tasked with being schools. Um, so it was, it's listed uh, as a challenge that occurred in the school, but it actually occurred, the Texas Youth Commission is the juvenile detention facility. Um, and even though, re, uh, like a 2007 report talks about 
um, how the Texas Youth Commission has just despicably failed to educate students, um, quote unquote, you know, prisoners in the system. They pulled this book in 2004 because they felt like it was inconsistent with the educational goals of the state um, and that it would inspire inappropriate behavior by students. Um, and so that brings me to my second reason, which is that I just wanted to say a little bit about last week's conference because I feel like there's a connection between censorship and issues of social control, which are nowhere more evident than in prisons in the United States. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, who defines what's inappropriate reading material and who defines what's inappropriate behavior? In this instance, the Texas Youth Commission felt empowered to define that a book written by and for young queer people about their experiences was actually going to inspire inappropriate behavior. Um, and so, I, you know, when I was sitting there last weekend, I was surrounded by all of these really inspiring people. Um, and I was thinking about coming to today's event, and I was sort of empathizing with all the panelists who had to get up and say stuff, and thinking, gosh, this is nerve-wracking. I have to do this next week. Um, and I, I just was really struck over and over again about the similarities between the work that these teachers and lawyers and social workers, some of them were librarians, some of them are parents and students, um, are all doing to fight things like immigrant detention and targeting of immigrants. Um, they're fighting the Patriot Act. They're fighting racism. They're fighting disinformation that's being put out there about their communities and the widespread expansion of the prison system and how similar that is to m the reasons that I decided to become a librarian. Um, and the work that we all do, defending the freedom to read, defending the right to expression, um, as parents, as teachers, as librarians, and all of the work that we do, um, you know, defending the freedom to read and defending access to information is so important, and these two issues are so connected. Um, and so when I was there, I just kept, you know, I kept thinking, like, what am I going to say next week? These issues seem really related. And I just kept coming back to the 5,000 young people who are imprisoned in the state of Texas and what it means that books, 15 of them in 2004, the year that my book was pulled um, from, by the Texas Youth Commission, what does it mean that someone has decided for them what is inappropriate and what is inappropriate reading material for them? And what would it mean if they actually got to sit down and hear other young people speaking experiences that they could relate to? Um, and so, you know, I just, I was, spending the week sort of ruminating about what does it mean when we make decisions on behalf of other people about what will protect them and what will keep them protected and what could it mean actually if young people got to make those choices for themselves and it's a, it's a complicated issue it's a controversial issue um, but I was you know I was mainly struck by by what we already know that the rise in book challenges and the rise in book removals though not all of the challenges result in successful removals is actually um, a big indicator of our political times. And again, Dr. Schmidt did a really good job of laying out the historical context and the current context. But to me, it's no coincidence that the tenfold rise in book challenges over the past several decades coexists with an 800% increase in the size of prisons in the US. And that may seem like a leap, you know, but to me, these issues are incredibly related. They're symptomatic of a culture of fear, which someone who moved 
who was in the room earlier mentioned, um, and that fear leads to undemocratic social policy and public policies, whether it's COPA and the CIPA or the Patriot Act or the elimination of net neutrality, whether it's anti-youth legislation, and there's a number of measures that are on the ballot in November, which is often eclipsed by the presidential race, um, that are actually just really restrictive and harmful to communities. These unconstitutional restrictions, the surveillance, they're all a symptom of our political times. And so to me, the issue of censorship in libraries, on the internet, and the type of surveillance and the type of undemocratic social policy that's passing in other sectors of our society are completely related. Um, and so I just wanted to share a little bit of information. And so one is that, you know, we're, we're closing libraries. Library budgets are being cut. I live in Oakland, and the place I'm doing my internship in Oakland just had its um, city of Oakland is cutting the library budget. And so the Access Services Unit, which provides literacy programs, the bookmobile, and services for people with disability is on the chopping block. Um, and so that's just, you know, one indicator. Libraries are closing. Um, schools are being either defunded or not funded as well as they need to be. Um, but prisons are being expanded, and they're being expanded despite falling violent crime rates, and you know, crime rates fluctuate each year. But the last time I, I checked, the, the need for education was not falling on par with the ways in which libraries and schools are being defunded and or deprioritized. And the only thing that falls when we, when we pull money or when we censor books is literacy rates. And it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me that we invest more in prisons when we so greatly need to increase literacy. And so all of this information just leads me to sort of my one last point about this, which is that more than 60% of prisoners are illiterate. In juvenile halls and in, juven in the juvenile justice system, it's 85% of young people are considered functionally illiterate. And this problem starts in our communities, not in the jails. Um, it's disturbing, but states across the country, including Indiana and California, Arizona, have all said and issued reports saying that they actually make budgetary decisions, you know, decades out for how many more prison beds they want to build, how many more juvenile halls they want to build, based on below average reading levels among second to fourth graders. And so, these are the reasons to me that these issues are so connected, that sitting there last week and coming to you this week, I feel inspired by all of you and spending two weekends among people who are really, really interested in opening up access to information, um, in seeing, you know, in different ways how our work is one and the same, how we all want to assure that people can live and read and express and inquire freely. Um, and this is the context in which, you know, some of those rights are being abridged and which books are being, being pulled from the shelves. Um, and, you know, I think the final thing I just want to say about how this connects to this particular book is that um, the juvenile justice system, these punitive social policies, um, they, they relate incredibly to the young people who are re represented in a book like this. Queer and transgender young people are disproportionately targeted by the criminal justice system, some of them because they live on the streets, some of them because they get caught up in the system for survival crimes, some of them because they've spent years in um, you know, foster care, or they had to drop out of school, and so their literacy rates are affected. Um, and you know, there's, there's an incredible connection between literacy rates and the track into prisons, um, as I mentioned. 
And so, you know, the, the young people in this book represent young people of color, young queer and transgender people, um, young people, many of whom grew up poor or had to leave their homes, were kicked out of their homes early. These are the young people who are being tracked into prisons and, and not supported to get the types of education that they need to thrive in society. Um, and so this issue is really important to me. I thought that I would just, you know, make some comments about it today because I spent last weekend among really inspiring people and you are all are really inspiring people as well. I look forward to hearing from you all and hearing from about your favorite books that you're going to read from today. Um, I want to read a few selections, a few passages from this, you know, clearly inappropriate quote unquote anthology. Um, and it's true that many of the topics addressed in this book are really serious and, and controversial. Um, there's pieces in this book by young people who underwent exorcisms um, or were forcibly institutionalized by their parents for mental health issues. Some of them are struggling with substance abuse, but most of the entries talk about fighting back, about hope, about reclaiming and acceptance. And so I wanted to share um, a little bit of that with you today and, um, and just tell you as well that, you know, while the Texas Youth Commission and possibly other libraries that I don't know about have either challenged or removed this book, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of emails over the years from young people, from teachers, but really mostly from young adults and youth who found this book often in their libraries, um, one in, you know, Colorado, one in Iowa, one, you know, in Pennsylvania, which is actually where I'm from, but this was in western Pennsylvania. And, you know, they tell me these stories that are just like, I found this book and a lot of the entries didn't speak to me, but these ones did. And it made such a difference. I'd never in my life found another person who reflected my experience, or I'd never in my life heard from another young person who went through what I went through, and thank you. And so that to me, you know, despite it maybe being an honor to have your book banned for hopefully all the right reasons, those to me are the types of stories that really, really keep me going and really remind me how important it was to put this collection together and that I hope to see more anthologies like this out there, um, not less, <laughs> certainly not in fewer locations. So I'm just going to read some excerpts if that's okay with you. Um, this first one is from a 21-year-old named Asher, um, and he starts off this piece by talking about an incident on the street where he was verbally assaulted from a girl who screamed out of a moving car. Um, so I'm going to skip the beginning and just read an excerpt. And he writes, maybe driving in a car makes people forget what it's like to be human. Regardless, this assault simply, simply reminded me yet again that I'm different. I guess it happens to straight boys too sometimes, those who aren't quite up to the standard of masculinity that our culture dictates. They get harassed in gym lockers and in front of frat houses like the rest of us. They're certainly not immune, but it happens most often though to people like myself. Those whose bodies and hearts lie beyond the limited scope of understanding exhibited by people like the girl who yelled at me from a moving car. It didn't make me angry really to be called that. The word was the OT word. <laughs> it saddened and bemused me, though, that our culture encourages this kind of behavior. It hurts my soul to see people act so mindlessly, so automatically. They manifest the programming of our culture so blatantly. Our country is negative about a lot of things. I hear people make both subtle and overt racist comments on a daily basis. Same goes with sexist comments, homophobic comments, and comments that deride diverse spiritual beliefs. We are expected to fit into neatly packaged and narrowly defined categories. 
Right now, my greatest struggle is to accept myself. In a way, I've been blessed with an intersex life. Not to say my biology makes me any more free of these gendered expectations, it doesn't. In fact, doctors would like to see me adhere even more rigidly to my expected role than other people do. But my upbringing has afforded me the ability to see the pros and cons of various options and to consider my own identity more deeply than most people ever realize they can. My biology only makes it clear at a more basic level. It takes as little sense to define only two sexes as it does to define only two genders. I, am, I believe I am, for better or worse, living proof that human beings are far more complicated than that. Um, and just a little bit of background, um, Asher identifies himself as intersexed in this entry and talks a little bit about it, but um, intersexed means it's one in, there's varying controversies, but um, one 500 to one in 2,000 babies are born with both male and female chromosomes and or biology. Um, and Asher is one of those young people. Um, and when Asher mentioned the doctors would like to see me adhere more rigidly, it's actually because there's often medical invention, intervention. Either doctors make the decisions themselves or they ask parents to make the decision at a very young age um, to perform surgery and then provide hormones to children who are born with both male and female chromosomes um, in order to make them more normal and make them fit in. Um, so I'm going to read just two more entries. The next one is by a 16-year-old and um, fits into a similar theme and is also one of the entries that um, has been <laughs> interestingly quoted in many of those internet articles lambasting this anthology for being dangerous. Um, and it says, my sexuality is as fluid, infinite, undefinable, and ever-changing as the north-flowing river that runs through the valley where I have spent nearly all my life. The continuum of sexuality is long, and I am always slip-sliding from one side to the other, and most often stopping to rest somewhere in the middle. Sexuality is not black or white, it is gray, and gray comes in infinite shades, more than could ever be contained in the biggest box of drawing pencils. I know who I am, being able to fit into a narrow category defined by someone else is not confusion. I know that defining myself is not so simple. If I collect all the labels that apply to me, Jewish, pagan, vegan, bisexual, lesbian, queer, woman, girl, woman with a Y, girl with three R's, I would quickly fill up a book. Everyone's sexuality is unique, just as no two maple leaves in the trees surrounding my parents' house are the same as they transform into fiery red, orange, and yellow each autumn. This is part of what makes us human. And um, this last one is by a poet named Uchechi Kalu. She's Nigerian-American. Um, she wrote this when she was a teenager attending UC Berkeley. Um, and she now lives in New York and has her own poetry anthology or poetry collection that was published two years ago. Um, so it's a poem about her experience growing up. It's called Affirmation. I be the one mama always say watch out for. Be the reason my parents send me to modeling school, make me a lady who don't never want nothing but a man. I be the one who catch myself looking at long black braids and smelling apple plum perfume and you. I be the one not always lusting after the big boys with beer bellies or biceps, cause I be the one who like to choose. 
be the one who don't know how to claim this song, afraid to write this poem, how do I stop myself from disappearing when there ain't no word to translate my kind of love into syllables that de decorate grandma's tongue? Be the one my mama make glance away when my sister and I strut down the hall like a parade of peacocks wearing daddy's suits. Be the one Congress try to legislate out of sight because I just don't act right. I be the one loving women, loving men, loving you who love me. I be the one I can't put a certain face to love. I can't negotiate the tender curve of your spine into a certain body frame or carefully constructed gender identity. I be the one mama always say watch out for, be the one God don't like, be the one have to sit through daddy's Sunday school lesson about Sodom and Gomorrah, how the Almighty burned them out of sight when they just don't act right. I be the one my parents want to act like a lady who don't never want nothing but a man. I be the one who be loving women, loving men, loving you who love me, because I ain't never going to let nobody tell me to live without love. Thank you.